I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth 2's favorite newspaper, and they still pay for newspapers over in Earth 2, the Starling Tribune. I am the chief editor. Tonight, my name is SP, and your other award-winning reporters for this special episode number 250 of the Starling Tribune are Chris. Welcome to Book Club. Yeah, and wine was present at Book Club. Did you notice that? You have to have wine at a book club. Yeah, or mom juice, as it's called in some circles. Yep. Or happy juice, I've heard that too. And Michelle. We should have done a crossover. I heard that, I was like, yeah. Especially, I did not see her costume until they put the lights on. I wasn't concentrating on the body, I was just concentrating on the face, and then all of a sudden it popped up, she was in the Supergirl posture. Oh, we're going to have to talk about that later. Hey everybody, this podcast is recorded on Thursday, October 3rd, 2019, live on www.geeks.live. That's right, and this evening we'll be discussing the last two episodes of Legends of Tomorrow, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements that have dropped in the last couple weeks that could, and let's be honest, probably will impact the future episodes of Legends of Tomorrow, as well as The Flash, Supergirl, Arrow, Batwoman, Black Lightning, and I think I'm missing something, but I don't mean to, so I apologize if I left anyone out. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at GunnaGeek.com. We can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Thanks, guys. Let's just get right into it. Michelle, go ahead and break down both episodes that we're going to be covering tonight. First is Terms of Service, which is Season 4, Episode 15. It aired Monday, May 13, 2019. It's directed by April Mullen. Credits include two episodes of Killjoys, four Winona Earp, Three Legends, and One of the Hundred. Written by Green Godfrey. Credits include four The Tomorrow People, one Arrow, six Flash, and 15 Legends. And Ubai Muhammad, whose credits include two episodes of The Whisper, did eight story for Cold, uh, teleplay for One Arrow, and has written five episodes of Legends of Tomorrow. Also has been a story editor on this show for 16 episodes. So Ubai has a rich history in Legends of Tomorrow. Our second episode is Hey World, Season 4, Episode 16. It aired Monday, May 20th, 2019. It was directed by Kevin Mock. Credits include one Chuck, one Flash, and five episodes of Legends. Written by Phil Clummer. Credits include 12 episodes of Chuck, three of the Tomorrow People, and 13 Legends. And Kido Schmitsu. Credits include 11 episodes of Arrow and 13 of Legends. We're covering two episodes of Legends of Tomorrow, which took place over two different weeks. So we're just going to take them week by week in the CW ratings for the week. So the first episode was Terms of Service, and that aired on the week of the 12th of May, 
2019. Supergirl aired on the 12th of May with their 21st episode of the fourth season titled Red Dawn to a Live Plus DVR rating of 1.87. On Monday, this episode of Legends of Tomorrow aired to a Live Plus 7-day DVR rating of 1.54. That's in millions. And on Monday, the 13th of May, following Legends of Tomorrow, Arrow had their 22nd episode of the seventh season titled You Have Saved This City. To a live plus seven day DVR number of 1.51. Then on Tuesday, Flash aired their season finale. It was the 22nd episode of the fifth season titled Legacy to a live plus seven day DVR rating of 2.69. And then the following week, when we had the season finale of Legends, we also had the season finale of Supergirl on the 19th of May where Supergirl aired the 22nd episode of the fourth season, The Quest for Peace, to a live plus seven-day DVR rating of 1.87, the same as the week before. And then this episode of Legends, Hey World, aired to a live plus seven-day DVR number on the 20th of 1.56 million. It's all respectable numbers. We all know that everybody's looking forward to watching on the CW app or Netflix in the future, so I'm cool with this. Solid ratings. Uh, I was one of those that watched on Netflix because that's the easiest way to consume after the season has ended. Just hit a button, no commercials, it just goes straight on to the next episode. And it was quite the fun experience to not have a one week wait time between these episodes. I guess that is the advantage to waiting to watch them when we are covering the shows is I don't have to sit there and be like, oh God, I got to wait a week to see what happens. Dang it. I know it was pretty cool that Michelle orientated us to and organized us to have the penultimate and the final episode of Legends of Tomorrow season four in the same week so we could cover them. But I will say in the future, I don't know if we're going to be able to watch right away afterwards because their Netflix deal is changing with CW shows. I just don't know how that's going to affect the shows next year. We'll have to wait and see right now. I think it's they have another year left on the existing deal. So any existing shows that are already going to Netflix will continue to do that. But anything new, I believe, is going to HBO Max. Not yeah, the new streaming service they have. So HBO Max, because they specifically quoted Batwoman in their press release as one of the streaming properties they'd have. We'll see if we get all the episodes right away, because it's been a week or two following the season finale that they have shown up. The season has shown up on Netflix in the past. I don't know if the same thing is going to happen with HBO. The implication for HBO was right after it airs, it would be available on there. But that was just the implication they haven't said officially. The season or the episodes? The episodes. Okay. All righty. So with that under our belts for the week, we're going to talk about the episodes themselves. Michelle, we got double duty this week where we're talking about the overall theme in relation to the title. We have two titles that we're talking about this week. So you get to be creative on how you handle it. So what do you say about the theme with the titles? Well, first we have Terms of Service and Neuron is posing as Ray Palmer and he develops an app called Eyes. And I have to admit, I'm one of those people that scrolls through the Terms of Service and just hits accept. Fortunately, we have Zari who read the fine print and realized that Neuron is collecting souls. He, he wants fear. And that's when we get to Hey World. It's sort of like first Hey World, look, this is what's happening. He's stowing fear. We have to fight it with positive energy. And of course, the theme park 
is called Haywood. So it's like, hey world, it's Haywood. And that's where they decide to, you know, show that monsters are regular individuals. They have talents the ogre wants to sing, and they don't need to be afraid. Ogre's a pretty good singer, too. I'll admit this title had me stumped. I told these two before we started recording. Before I saw the episode, I didn't really get what Hey World was about. And then I saw the episode and I was like, oh, I should have seen that coming for like six months. And I didn't. So, oh, bad on me. But it was cool. I liked it. I liked the fact that Haywood actually got built. It was via magic. But hey, this whole season is magic. I also like the nod to the fact that actually constructing something like this would take about two and a half to three years, because it really would. They needed the magic to get it done within the episode. I enjoyed these final two episodes back to back. It was a good story. I have some concerns going into season five, but I think we'll get there eventually. Michelle, you want to talk about some of the time travel that we witnessed during this these episodes? What's interesting is it basically takes place in 2019 because that's where Neron is releasing his app and talking about how there's monsters among us. And then we get to see young Zari and her mom's pregnant with her brother and they're living in a nice house. And Charlie goes over and she's like, I thought you grew up in some sort of dystopian thing and she's like no you don't understand two years from now argus does this and a few years from now we live in a ghetto it's like it's the nice calm before the storm so it's not like we really had any actual time travel we had the rave rider and we have 2019 because well gary i really wanted to start with gary because this is where i think it starts because the fairy godmother is tied to him and he's getting massages and she, Tabitha, that's her name. Tabitha is like, don't you want to get revenge on the legends? Don't you want to be mean to them? Don't you want to do this? And instead, he's just, I want to be part of the gang. I want to be a legend. And Chris, that's where your quote comes from, correct? That is true. It's when he... uh Wishes the ladies of the legends to come and be in the book club because he didn't get a chance to be part of book club that they formed originally. He's also trying to be a little smart because he admits later and you don't really see it and it is flawed, but he is trying to save the legends. He's not trying to hurt them. He's just trying to spend time with them. He's just trying to have a good time with them amidst the constraints that he knows that Neuron wants to do bad things to them. So he's trying to be creative and in the end he just fails unfortunately but then he succeeds so i think his ability to kind of resist harming them for as long as he did went pretty well until he got to the point where he was just so frustrated he's like look i'm trying to save you guys and you guys don't care so go ahead and dance 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 forever faster 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 and uh, Mick with a uh, pacifier in his mouth. That was interesting. It was. I was trying to fa- figure out if Gary's two new nipples were demonic also. I'm assuming they weren't because they probably would have mentioned. But remember, Gary now has three nipples because you never know when you'll need a spare. It looked like the third one was demonic to me, but I don't know. So maybe Constantine's going to have to perform an exorcism on his extra nipple. I, I don't know. 
They didn't mention that it was demonic because that's part of what I was thinking is, hmm, maybe there's a demonic nipple at play here that is still uh, kind of screwing with his head. No, because it's a wish. He told the fairy godmother to give him another regular nipple. And that's what she did. So it's not a demonic one. It's one from the fairy godmother. Because at that point, Tabitha is still in the prison of being a fairy godmother. And that's what we learn. We learn that that's not what she is. It's a prison. And she works her magic in order to break that prison. Fair. But since she was giving him two nipples, I didn't know what might have happened. I wanted to pretend it could be a demonic nipple because the concept makes me laugh, I'll be honest. (laughs) That's mostly what it was. His demonic nipple just kind of makes me chuckle in the back of my mind. It's more than just magic that Tabitha uses to break her bond, her fairy godmother bond. There's a fair amount of manipulation against Nora that happens in order to break the bond. She goads Nora into it in order to save Mona. And then Tabitha end up lying about it because Nora can't save Mona. Well, that is her true magic, right? Manipulation. We learned that's what her staff, her true staff does. She was controlling Charlie. She was controlling the dragon. I love how she calls Neron her pet. They're just masters of manipulation. And she gets Nora to give it up, to let me be a fairy godmother and going to help Mona. She's just like, ha, 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 you're tied to Gary. Bye. Nora in the fairy godmother dress and all the glitter and sparkles. And this is from somebody who grew up to be an evil witch. And now all of a sudden she's a fairy godmother with the tiara and everything. I thought that was hilarious. And the exasperation with having become said fairy godmother when she realizes she got tricked and. Uh, My favorite one is when Gary's finally making his turn and wishing that his fairy godmother can go to hell to save Constantine and Ray Palmer. And the legends are looking at her like, Nora? And and they're making this wish and Gary's not noticing and she just hears, Gary, you're a dick! (laughs) She gets pulled into hell. (laughs) That's one of my favorite moments of the episode is him just not noticing and Nora's like, you're a dick! (laughs) It was pretty funny. I was like, did she really say that? She really said that. Okay. It was a good line. And you could put yourself a bit in Nora's shoes and be like, hey, I've just had been tricked into becoming this fairy godmother. I'm wearing this stupid dress and tiara. My magic doesn't work how I think it should. Oh, now I'm getting this break where I might actually get to do something the right way. And then pfft, <laughs> it didn't quite pan out. It's a good thing she got sent to hell because Constantine... He was doing all smooth. He was working his thing. He got to the triumvirate. And then there was that classic moment. For those of us who are Constantine fans, we really understand the Astro moment. They've tried to work it in. I think the writers did a pretty good job of trying to establish the whole Astro moment. But for those of us who, who've read it, they read the comics and watched the show, it really, that is like the biggest weight on his soul. And it makes sense that he picked her, but she's not the little girl anymore, is she, SP? No, I am not a Constantine fan. I did not watch any of the Constantine episodes because he had his own show for a while. But apparently there was this Astro moment within his own show. And it turns out that Astra has grown up in hell and has become very adept at her own survival and 
possibly even moving up in the food chain in hell. And it turns out that the pick was bad. It turns out that if he would have picked Ray right off the bat, that they would have been able to go back up to the surface. I'm sure that there were some things that wouldn't have been able to happen had they done that. But we inadvertently basically end up with a new big bad for next season. We've already run the news for it. Astro will be in the next season. I just didn't get the whole thing until we watched this episode, until we watched the finale. Now, especially at the end of the episode, you see Astra, you know, redeeming all of her chips for all of these uh, histories, like biggest monsters, biggest human monsters. I mean, you're talking about Gagas Khan, you're talking about people that did a lot of damage in their lives, at least the history that we know says that they, they did. Now we have Astra with all these big bads coming back for next season. Next season is already set. We already see that coming. I'm wondering if Astra can be redeemed. And I'm thinking she can, but Neuron couldn't. Neuron's dead. And you know, it doesn't always happen. I did like the Damien reference. Neuron mentioned Damien. I thought we might see him in hell. We didn't. So it was nice to at least hear his name and how he was doing. And it appears not so well down in hell right now. But you've also got to want to be redeemed to be redeemable. Just even some small part of you. And she seems pretty comfortable probably because she's grown up in hell basically by living in the system that's there and being able to go and collect those chips for evil souls. And I think one of them was even Charlie Manson, if I saw correctly. So we could have some very interesting big or many big bads showing up this upcoming season. If Ray can work his magic, he can turn any of those bads to a good friend, but but Ray's only there like half the season. Yeah. If that. Yeah. Here's the thing. Because Constantine made the wrong choice, we got this awesome moment of Nora and Constantine, you know, they're right in front of the door and he's warning her. He's just like this place, it can twist the most innocent we have to be ready. And then they open the door and it's Ray playing Jenga with Vandal Savage. That was amazing. Which was hilarious. Hilarious. And it was really cool to see the actor return. Casper uh, Grump Crump. I'm probably remembering his last name incorrectly. But I was like, oh yeah, nice callback to like season one. We haven't seen you in ages, buddy. Nope. And they found out it was all about a girl. Do you remember what that girl used to do, Chris? Yeah, I remember. She used to be a barista. <laughs> okay, so why that is so funny to me this week is my daughter just got a job at Starbucks, so my daughter is now a barista. Is she going to become an immortal hawk woman next? Because that'd be kind of cool, SP. I know, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, well, if we continue on this path, then... Do all baristas go down this path, or was it just this one special one? I don't know, so we'll see. We'll find out. I'll keep everybody posted. Has she shown any inclinations towards spiked maces or weaponry-like? Well, her first shift was this morning, so and I haven't seen her since, and I probably won't see her until weekend after next. She could be on the Wave Rider by now, then, is what I'm hearing. She's now a barista, officially. She might get called to go and help save time and space by Captain Rip Hunter. I hope you've prepared her appropriately. She watched the first few seasons of Arrow. You know, she's good to go then. Okay. She's been properly trained, more so than the barista was in Legends. She also really likes the Suicide Squad movie. Uh, 
Award-winning. Don't forget that part. Award-winning. I forget it all the time. Uh, don't worry. I'm here to remind you because I know, and the people know, how much you, Stargate Pioneer, love the award-winning Suicide Squad movie. Not the Suicide Squad that James Gunn is doing, but Suicide Squad by David Ayer. We know you love it. That is incorrect, but we can progress anyway. Well, we really learned that Neron's true plan isn't just to collect souls, but to actually open a portal between hell and earth using all of the fear that they're collecting because he wants to make earth hell again, which I thought that was kind of cute in a very awful way. It felt very Ghostbuster-y to me a little bit, like Ghostbusters 2, where then, and especially at the end, we're like, we need to inspire good feelings. I was like, where's the Statue of Liberty covered in goo? Where's the Statue of Liberty covered in goo? <laughs> I was so disappointed we didn't get a Bebo moment. But we kind of did, though, at the end. You know, when they had to hold hands. Yeah, they hold hands, but we didn't see Bebo. So I just hope that we see Bebo again. Bebo's expensive, probably. <laughs> that's, fair, that's fair enough. I think Bebo's got an agent by now. If Bebo has his own agent, Legends can't afford Bebo anymore. <laughs> well, Constantine learns that the actual contract Ray has with Neron is that if Neron hurts or kills Nate, then the contract's void, and that means Ray would have his body back. And Constantine does his little tricks, which he tried to do earlier in Hell. He tried to trick Astra. So that was a nice little foreshadowing that it's not like it came out of nowhere earlier in the story. You actually got to see Constantine try to do that trick, but Astra saw through it. But in this case, Neron didn't. Is it just because he's cocky, do we think? That he just thinks he's got everything won, so he's not really thinking about it? What happens right before? Because we haven't talked about Zari and the dragon egg. Yeah, he's distracted. Tabitha is eaten by, do we call the dragon Wickster or do we call the dragon Mithra? I think Mithra. Okay, I'll go with Mithra. So Mithra eats Tabitha and even belches afterwards. So although it's comic books and in comic books, you know, nobody's really dead. I think Tabitha is really gone. I mean, we got time travel. You could theoretically come and save her a split second before she dies just to return her to die. Same theory I had with Captain Cold, which has not come to fruition, which I keep hoping. But I think that theory is for naught at this point in time. You know, they kind of did that whole thing in Doctor Who with Clara, which was one of the companions. And she is basically living the rest of her life without a heartbeat. She's like one heartbeat away from dying. And she has to return to that moment. And so she's out there. I mean, we've transitioned doctors, so I don't think we'll ever see Clara again. But that basically happened with Clara in Doctor Who recently, in the last couple of years. But I thought it was great, you know, sorry, because they're all like trying to get the monsters out. There's the monster jailbreak from the Time Bureau. She completely forgets the egg, and then she actually sees young version of herself. That was a cute moment. I thought so. Yeah. And that probably led to them not having the dragon. So they failed in their little mission because she's like, oh, wow, look, little Zari is she's actually has friends and everything's going fine for her. And then a split second later, the Time Bureau opens up because one of the teach I'm going to say it's a teacher. It could have been a parent 
or the playground monitor or whatever. Yeah, used the eyes app and showed this magical creature. So the Time Bureau agents came and nabbed the, the dragon and took it away. So they failed in their mission. But I think if it wasn't for the fact that Zari was all into her younger self actually doing well, they would have nabbed the dragon. Probably. I think that's reasonable. But then we wouldn't have the great moment later on when Sarah and Tabitha have that really interesting fight. It was really interesting seeing the actor who plays Tabitha fighting against Sarah Lance. But then Sarah is there and the dragon's ready to eat her and then we get little Zari. Little Zari actually saved the day because little Zari came up and said, okay, Mithril, dance. And so it danced and then the tail went way uh, around and swept the leg of Tabitha. Tabitha went flying and her staff went flying the other way. And that ended winning the time, right? So that was amazing that the dance by Mithra, as commanded by little Zari, actually happened. I don't think little Zari realizes that she had this huge effect on everything. Not yet. No, not yet. There's potential that something could be realized in the upcoming season, but... Mm. Yeah, that's the biggest issue... If I want to even call it an issue, I can't, I can't really call it an issue because I know it's going to be resolved in some way, shape, manner or form. And I I don't think it's going to be a Sarah Diggle moment, but I think Zari is going to be changed. And we ended up with a new character because her brother is there with the power stone at the end. And it's like, he's been there all along for the last two years. I just don't see them pushing Zari away from the show. I think Zari's still going to be part of the show, but I don't know how they're going to bring her back. And also, Nate, he has this issue with two women now. I'm like, oh man, just get off the show. He doesn't remember that he had something going or starting with Zari because of how time travel works. Remember, he's like, something feels strange or something like that effect when uh, he was done hugging Zari's brother, where he evidently used more pelvis than normal, we were told. <laughs> I think what's going to happen is, I was just thinking about this. I have no idea if this is what the writers have chosen to do or not, because they've already filmed the first few episodes, I think, of Legends of Tomorrow, even though it doesn't air until January. I know they just started their part of Crisis. Okay. So what I think is going to happen is, remember, Zari was on the Wave Rider, which was in the temporal zone before Nate died, and she wanted to come back to try to help bring Nate back to life. She had to be there for Nate. I don't disagree with that it probably led to nate being able to come back but i think what she did before she left is she left a message for somebody and that message will still be there at the wave rider because it was in the temporal zone i mean a message is all well and good but a message isn't really going to restore deleted memories to a Zari that's been altered by the timeline alteration. So, I mean, all it's really going to be able to do is be like, hey, you knew these folks. It's going to be weird because they think they know you, but you don't remember any of them. And hey, this guy's kind of in love with you, but you don't return those feelings because you don't know him and haven't lived through all these adventures. So I think a note would be interesting. I think it would fit the uh, soap opera feeling they like to touch on sometimes on shows like this where you have to deal with feelings, unrequited feelings. So It's possible, but I don't think it's the uh, cure-all that resolves the fact that Zari, as we know it, is is, she's gone. There would definitely be a change, I'm predicting, but I don't know what that change is going to look like. And even if it's Zari coming back to say goodbye, basically, 
which could happen, which I really, I mean, she was really a great part of the ship and the crew. As far as I recall, they have said that she's still a season regular for next season, not that she's part-time or anything like that. Okay, then I was going back in my mind on the show and seeing characters that were like that, that could have been considered season regulars. And the professor's daughter is a great example, right? She could, she wasn't, but you could go back and you could have written her as a season regular, right? So, yeah, I don't know. They might try that tact. She's barely in the show in comparison to Zari. That's my point, is that she wasn't, but she was an auxiliary character that could have been written in. Like, Zari could be written to be in the Time Bureau. I thought the Time Bureau was going away. No. No? No, the Time okay. Bureau's not going to go away. Zari did not create the Time Bureau. I thought it was one of the consequences of all of this stuff, but maybe I just misremember a news story. The Argus of the Future. Oh. Well, the Argus of the Future will be going away. You you might be right on the Time Bureau. I seem to remember something like that. Tends to blur together because that news was probably three or four months ago at this point in time, and we're all in crisis world right now where everything's about, oh, crisis, this guy's in a costume now. Is that guy going to be in a costume? So I fully admit I could be misremembering, and if I am, just send us a tweet at Starling Tribune and be Chris, Chris, you've got it all wrong. Here's the actual story of what's going on. I would appreciate it. Okay, so when Nate dies thanks to Constantine doing his trick and everything. He's there with his dad and with Hank. And I cried. I cried the first time I watched the episode. I cried again. I think I'm going to cry every single time I watch that episode with that moment. It wasn't the only time we saw a vision of Hank because Hank was in the middle of, of, he was had a statue at the beginning of Hay World, too. Just like Walt Disney. Yeah, right. So you had the statue, and then you saw him at the top of the stadium, or whatever that was, to talk to his dead son. And then you had that moment between the two of them, which I think is great. I, I don't know how much of that Nate will remember. I hope he remembers something of it, because it was a very touching moment. It made me smile, because Nate finally got the closure of getting to have a conversation with his father lay everything on the table because remember when his father died nate was of the mind oh he might be a bad guy and all this and then found out no he's actually a good guy got me to play my near on so nate gets that moment of closure with his father which is something that it made me feel good i didn't cry but i know i have before when uh professor stein died for instance that one hit me really hard before but this was I was happiness. I was just like, good for Nate. He gets that closure. And then at the end of the show, I was like, oh, poor Nate, because he gets that closure with his dad. And now some lingering part of him is going to realize, hmm, the woman I fell in love with is gone now. So it's kind of a mixed bag for Nate this week. I did really enjoy it when Hank basically kicked his son off the roof. That was nice. I liked that moment. So SP, is there anything else you want to talk about? We finally get the dragon. I mean, we talked about the dragon already, but the dragon hasn't gone anywhere. The dragon's still around. So that'll be a cute little dragon. Bring it. If we lose Bebo for the dragon, I can live with that. I can, I can go with a baby dragon for next year. The brother, Zari's brother, I forget his name. He's going to be an interesting addition to the show next year. And I 
can only assume that he's going to be in at least one, if not all of the episodes. So they're basically bringing on a new character. And then we've already heard of other characters that are leaving the show. So this is like a, a pre-loading of the crew back. Is he the new time bro for Nate now? They seem to present their relationship. Now, granted, we saw all for a whopping 30 seconds max on screen. Very similar to how he interacts with Ray. So I was wondering if the three of them had a brodom. Time bros. Yeah, I could see it. So just looking forward to next year. I'm curious as to how they do the Zari storyline because I don't think that's over yet. I'm curious as to how Crisis is going to affect the Legends because I think it will. Uh, we didn't talk at all about the Monitor. The Monitor actually shows up at the final battle and he had like a disapproving look on his face and then when they started to win he started eating popcorn so that was awesome <laughs> i know that timeline's changed what about you chris so what i was gonna bring up was the fact the monitor was there and this was a nice tie-in to be like hey we got our little joke in there before that we should have had a crossover here's your reminder we are in the next crossover because hey here's the monitor who showed up and every series basically to kind of be the teaser that's saying crisis is coming this character is important so that was great and i'm really sad that ray's going to be leaving because i just wanted to see a continuing fallout of being possessed by a demon and trying to take over the world and what happens to ray palmer's reputation for things that neuron did while possessing his body because i think that could have been an interesting plot thread maybe that's part of why Ray disappears or leaves the legends as he's got to rehabilitate his image or try and undo some of the stuff that Neron did in his body. I'm not sure, but I, I'm going to miss that character a lot. And it just kind of hit home, especially once Brandon Routh kind of flipped that switch when he was back in control of his own body and brought Goofy Ray back right when he was possessed evil Neron. I mean, impressive acting. It was almost like the flip of a switch. You're like, whoa, holy crap, this is great. The last few weeks, we have gotten... A reference to OG Legends. We got one this week as well. It wouldn't have been both weeks because it was just in one of the episodes. But they've been hitting that hard in the last few episodes of the OG crew. And the OG crew right now is Mick and and Sarah. But Ray, he was there at the beginning too. And I don't know. I don't think Mick has Dominic Prasad. I don't think he has any plans of leaving the show at least not for the next year or so none that we've heard about at least that's fair so right now it's just sarah and mick to be fair he also did do like prison break at the same time he did legends i think very early on is when they did like season one or two of legends is the same time they did that resurrected season of prison break if i recall and i think he did both at the same time so it's entirely possible that even if he did have other work coming up because of the shortened nature of legends tomorrow having only what like 13 episodes this next season there's room in the schedule to be able to go and do other things. And maybe he just enjoys getting to play the character of Mick. Who knows? He's really good at it. He's really good. <laughs> I always think it's interesting when you have good actors be bad actors. Because not only did we have that awful commercial, but then the show at Haywood with Sarah, like White Canary and Nate, it's like, you know, maybe we should listen to them so bad yeah although if there was anybody that i could see as a speedster gary actually pulled that off really well yeah i enjoyed it well what do we think is going to happen 
next season. I know SP, you've been touching on it. You want to talk about that? We know that Astra's going to be the big bad. We know that we have to wrap up the Zari storyline at some how. I don't know how they're going to do that. And uh, Nate's possibly leaving the show. I know Ray is. Uh, so you're going to have to reload the Wave Rider again. I, I, I really hope that we get more Gideon next year. I know we got a couple of episodes of Gideon this season, but I really hope that we get more of a physical Gideon in the future because that actress deserves to be on the screen. She might be a dedicated voiceover actor, but she does well on the screen as well. Chris? More time hijinxes and stuff like that. I'm assuming that as we lose more of the original crew, specifically Ray, we're going to get a further focus on John Constantine, especially as we're dealing with Astra and resurrected souls from hell. So I'm assuming we'll stay strong in the supernatural bent of things, which means Constantine plays a big role. And I'm curious to see how he continues to sort of fit in with the team, even though he grumbles about being part of the team at times. No costumes. Yeah. I think Zari's situation, because the monitor was there, it might be intertwined with Crisis. So I'm wondering if her situation gets fixed during the Crisis events, because we know there's going to be time travel through all of that in different timelines and correcting of some things. I'm wondering if that's how they'll do it. It could be. I mean, if it's like the comics, Crisis is the great way to reset everything back to a status quo where you're not trying to juggle six different continuities of things or be like, okay, in this episode of Flash, we did this, which means it would impact this episode of Legends, for instance. It's a good resetting point to level set everything. Be nice to have Sarah Diggle back. Yeah. It uh, seems unlikely seeing as uh, John Diggle Jr. is playing a predominant role in the future. I know, but still, it'd be, uh, that you could do it, especially since they're going to, Arrow's ending, and they're going to reset the future. Okay, I want to get something official. John Diggle as the Green Lantern during Crisis, yes or no? Do I think it's going to happen, or do I want it to happen? What is the question here? <laughs> do you think it's actually going to happen? I think we can all say we want it to happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think we'll get some kind of tease about it. Really? I think since this is going to be one of his last episodes, I think we're going to get him as Green Lantern. Or a Green Lantern. I mean, I hope we do. I just, there's so many moving pieces there, and they've got so many payoff shots they're going to have to have in crisis right now because let's be honest we've started to see some of those on instagram and twitter coming from the set like seeing brandon routh in kingdom come superman suit seeing brandon routh as clark kent again an editor of the daily planet which was kind of cool but really as much as i would love to see john diggle be the green lantern the real payoff the thing if i can only get one thing in crisis that i want that's tom welling in a superman suit because i never got it in 10 seasons of smallville they teased it. I got it in the Smallville Season 11 comic, but never got it in real life. And the pictures we've seen of Tyler Hoechlin and Brandon Routh on set as Superman, it certainly looks like there could have been a third person there that's been cropped out of those photos because they're saving it to show us on the show itself. I want this. Or maybe in the final lead up to the crossover episodes and the promotions that week, who knows? Yeah, I hope they save it for the crossover itself because there's a lot of people and it's interesting buzz because where it is Smallville was wrapping the last few seasons, that's when I actually started using Twitter a lot. So I still follow a lot of those same people that were watching Smallville the same time I was. It's fun to see some of these 
long dormant accounts I haven't seen active in a while, coming back up with people buzzing about the potential of what's going to be Smallville involved in Crisis, because people are legit excited about uh, Tom Welling and Erica Durant's returning and potentially getting a final send-off to that character. I, I want it bad. I, I want Green Lantern bad, but not as bad as Tom Welling in a Superman suit. You know, one of the news stories that came out about the crossover, it was Lila and the Harbinger. And there was a big rub this past week over Mark Guggenheim coming out and saying, this is 10 years in the making. I, I don't know. What do you guys think of that announcement being in the making for 10 years? I kind of think it's a little bit suspect, but what do you guys think? I think it's hype. Bowl. I think he's just, I think it's something that I was, I had it in my head and I hoped it would be something that would happen 10 years from now. But uh, it's, I mean, come on, they had Arrow first. They didn't even know if it's going to get renewed. They didn't even know like Flash was even possible. I think they, they only really thought about it being a possibility when they teased it in the first season of Flash and then they realized, well, things are getting still successful and we're getting multiple seasons, I think now we can kind of make it happen. To me, this is an Easter egg when they name dropped that code name. So all the comic book fans then were like, oh, that's pretty cool. And now they can kind of retcon it slightly, what their intent may have been, and be like, look, we set all this up so you can have this character. We name dropped it almost 10 years ago. Well, you did, but I don't think, like Michelle said, I don't think 10 years ago you had this plan of, oh, we're going to do Crisis on Infinite Earths. If you did, kudos to you other than just like some idea hey if this all picks up we can get a bunch of stuff going crisis would be really cool but that early on in the flash and arrow universe i think it's slightly overhyped now it's cool things like that but when Google, mark guggenheim was on twitter hyping oh we've got a payoff of something we've been building for 10 years coming up that is not what i was expecting and when i read the news it's like oh that's it it felt like a bit more hype than what it actually was maybe i'm a party pooper i don't know Okay, well, I'm glad we are basically thinking in the same lines. I mean, it was a cool announcement, and it's cool for Mark personally to come out and saying this was 10 years in the making, but it's like, eh, I, 10 years ago, it was a different time. It was a different universe. And again, maybe if that had been one of the first announcements that came out about Crisis, people would have been a lot more excited, but think of everything we've had come out. Kevin Conroy, Burt Ward. Erica Durant, Tom Welling, things like that. You're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then it's, hey, this name drop that we did of a character, we're going to turn them into this character for Crisis. And you're like, that, that's cool, I guess, but that's not as cool as Superman from Smallville. <laughs> I do think it's cool that her character is coming back specifically for the crossover because we had a declining use of the character in the last season or two. So it's good to know that she'll at least be around for the crossover, we don't know if what universe it's coming from. We don't know if it's the Prime or Earth 2 or Earth 53. We, we don't know, but the actor is coming back. That's cool to see. Very much so. The ramp-up to Crisis will be getting started on Tuesday, October 15th, when Arrow comes back. That's right, it's Starling City, Season 8, Episode 1. In the wake of discovering what his future holds, Oliver will find himself pit against the most challenging battle yet, one that will leave the multiverse hanging in the balance. Directed by one of our favorites, James Banford, and written by Bess Schwartz and Mark Guggenheim.
Live from the Starling Tribune main news desk on floor 52 of the Starling Tribune Tower, it's the weekly news roundup with award-winning chief news anchor, Michelle Ely. And now, Michelle Ely. Thanks, SP. This week, I have some help from Chris. So, Chris, why don't you get us started? Let's start things off, and we've gotten some information about how and when Stephen Mel decided he was going to leave the Arrow TV show. Now, this is interesting because once they announced Arrow was ending, we all had our theories on when was it Stephen might have thought he was done, wanted to move on to other things, and he kind of gave us some of that information. Comic Book Resources is where we got the news from, and he suggested, or decided rather, to depart during a break in filming for season six. And while he suggested he leave the show following season seven, Greg Berlanti convinced him to try a different strategy for his exit. According to Stephen, quote, I decided midway through season six, basically over the Christmas break, that it was time to be done. And I broached the subject with Greg, that's Greg Berlanti. He and I talked for about a month before he informally notified Mark, that's CW President Mark Pedowitz, and WB President Peter Roth, because he was like, think about this a lot. Let's talk about it, because once I kick it up the chain, once the ball starts rolling, he knew what was going to happen. So I thought about it then. I assumed the series was going to end at the end of Season 7, but Greg's smarter than me, and he had a really good idea about a limited run in Season 8. So they were able to convince Steven to stay on board for Season 8 to kind of set up Crisis, give the character a proper send-off, and we all know it's kind of worked out well for Stephen Amell. He's already got his new gig lined up as soon as he's done with Arrow. So kudos to Steven for staying on board a little bit longer to give that character a proper send-off and help set a bunch of other things up. It also makes a little bit more sense when you think about Emily Beck-Rickard's departure from the show, because if they knew about this at the second half of season six, when they were filming the ending to season six, I can see Emily say, saying, okay, I'll stick around for one more year, but after that, I have to think about my career and think about what's next for me. And I could definitely see her decision to leave the show at the end of last year versus waiting midway through this season eight coming up. Well, in more Arrow news, one of my favorites, Colton Hayes. Yes, my baby. EW has exclusively learned that Colton Hayes has, is indeed returning to Arrow and will recur in the final season. The news arrives two months after the star's demotion from series regular status sparked some fear that he might not appear in the CW superhero drama's farewell song. Thankfully, those worries all for naught. We couldn't have ended the show without having him back, showrunner Beth Schwartz tells EW. So he's coming back. We're going to get some resolution. We have Thea next year, so maybe we'll find out. Did they break up? Was the exile on purpose? Who knows? I'm glad they're bringing Roy back because based off how they'd set everything up in the future, if they didn't and just kind of did like some aside comment that kind of hand waved away what was happening, it would have been kind of a disservice to the character. So at least we get a proper send off to a character that's been in the Arrowverse for a long time. I'm looking forward to seeing him back on the show. I thought all along that he would be part of the final episodes. I didn't know if it would mean crisis or not, but I always knew he was coming back and we'll see where his relationship goes. And there is a link to the next news story possibly. And I'll leave that for after it's said. So our next news story here is that the CW is moving forward with another Arrow spinoff headlined by Catherine McNamara, Katie Casty, and Juliana Harkavy reprising their Arrow roles. The new Superhero Squad is a next-generation version of Team Arrow with the costumed offspring of the original members, or of the original membership, rather. At the center of the next-gen collective is uh, Mia Smoke, the fierce daughter of Oliver Queen, a.k.a. the Green Arrow, the central character of Arrow, 
who was also, you know, the former mayor of Star City, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, club owner, Russian Bratva agent, all sorts of different things. But it looks like they're going the route, like a lot of people had predicted, of a spinoff set in the future. I guess it could be interesting. It's, I don't know, maybe I'm just a little burnt out. We've got too much stuff on the plate right now. I'm just like, I can't imagine adding our show right now to what I am watching, but it fills the hole that Arrow closes, I guess, or leaves behind. And it'll depend on how much money and effort they throw into developing the series. And for, by that, I mean like special effects and stunts and uh, bringing in 18 people to write the scripts and everything. So we'll see how that pans out. But the link that I was trying to make before is that this would leave an in for Colton Hayes to actually be on the new show as well since he is part of that timeline right now yeah fair point i'm like sure but then if it's in the apocalyptic time that we had last season then it just sort of feels like what do they all lose i mean crisis could reset it is part of what we need to consider here is depending on what happens in crisis that's like the penultimate episode of Arrow, I think we found out or something like that. So it could basically serve as a soft reboot of the Arrow universe, which could potentially fix the future to some extent and leave us in a better future with these characters. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. There's too much stuff that could happen in Crisis. Michelle, the same issue I had about the future was it means that OTA, the original Team Arrow, failed and something spectacularly went wrong. Last year, we didn't know exactly what it is. This year, we kind of see it coming up as crisis. I don't know what that means for Arrow or this new series, because it really doesn't have a name yet that I've seen. And I don't like thinking that I've invested the last seven years and soon to be eight in this series in Arrow, and they lose. It's like, why did I watch it? You take a look at any series that I watch, and if it ends poorly, then I'm like, I hate that. Like, How I Met Your Mother, I bring that up all the time because it ended terribly. It was a preconceived ending that was made 10 years earlier that they could have and should have changed. And they decided not to when it aired. Chris has brought up in the past when I've talked about this, the fact that the writers actually put a different ending up on YouTube. CBS put a different ending up, which is much better. It is. And if they ended it that way, it would have been great. But they didn't. They chose to go the route that they did and was bad. So that's an example of a show that I watched for 10 years and it ended poorly and I will never watch it again because of the way it ended. And depending on how this series ends will depend on if I want to keep watching the universe, if I will ever go back and rewatch Arrow. And it's been a long eight years, seven years right now. And to have that Especially when I've invested so much time and effort podcasting on it, if it turns out to be bad, it's like I've wasted all this time doing Starling Tribune and I don't want to feel like it's a waste. So I have more than an average person's concern about the ending of Arrow. And I really hope that Beth Schwartz really brings it home. She's given us a lot of hope last year. I can only take that hope and move forward with it, that it'll be okay and that she's convinced the higher ups to change some of that dystopian future because it's, it's, it really just doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth for what's current. And by the way, it's all done now. They, they've filmed basically everything up to the 
crisis up to the crossover. So nothing can be done about it except for actually air the episodes at this point. So part of the problem they have with shows like Arrow and these other beloved shows that run a while, How I Met Your Mother, Chuck, Battlestar, stuff like that, is sticking the landing is very hard, especially when you have a passionate fan base, especially when that passionate fan base has their own preconceived notions of how everything is going to end. It's hard to stick the landing. And I think it's hard from a fan perspective to not take what we think the end should be and set that aside from what the end actually is. And I think in some cases, it's justifiable to be upset with how a show ends. But I think other times we just suffer from the fact that it's not what we imagined it was going to be, and it can't quite live up to that hype. Like, the ending to Chuck, for instance, I think is bad. The ending to How I Met Your Mother, I think is bad. The ending to Battlestar Galactica, I think is flawed, but I don't think it's bad. So it's not one of those things that I, I look back after and make, oh, I feel like I wasted my time, or it just kind of flopped on me at the end. Now, the ending's not as good as everything that led up to it, I fully admit that. So it's just a matter of how they staged this, and what I will give them credit for is they've been fairly good at managing fan expectations in recent time and not pandering necessarily but kind of guiding us towards our own preconceived notions matching with what a lot of it is that they're doing so i'm cautiously optimistic to how they're going to wrap things up i just honestly this this rumored birds of prey spinoff i don't care as much as i do about some of the other shows that are already there and i think it suffers like i'd mentioned just from there's so much stuff right now, and I don't know that I want to jump on another one, especially with characters that are set in the future world that doesn't necessarily tie in with everything else. It's something I can wait and come back to if it's good. There are so many. I mean, how many comic book shows are they going to have? The next? I know they're not going to be airing all at the same time, but you've got Arrow, Flash, Batwoman, Black Lightning, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, maybe this backdoor pilot. Is there another one? Supergirl? Did you mention Supergirl? No, I didn't. So that's seven shows. That's a lot. I mean, I know Arrow's going away, so you're left with six. But that's seven shows. And that's, a, that's seven hours a week. That's a lot of time to spend in one universe without variety. And if one of the cylinders is not firing, or several of the cylinders in this engine are not firing makes for a tough slog to get through to something like the crossover if they ever do something like this again so yeah i get what you're saying chris this is prime for okay we're going to watch what we're going to watch and then we're just going to leave everything else on the cutting floor maybe get back to it at another time it's just it's just too much chris and i and michelle you lived through this time too star trek where you had two Star Trek series running at the same time. You had TNG and I believe it was DS9 running at the same time. Yes, and then, sir. You, then you had DS9 and you had Voyager running at the same time. And that was just three shows. And then by the time we get to the fourth one, Enterprise, there was a lot of burnout. Of course, that was over the course of, what, 20, 22, 23 years. But that was just a lot to take in. And that was only three ultimately four shows and never more than two airing at the same time. So they suffer from the same problem that I worry about with Disney and some of their stuff is there's so much content that's all connected and you, it's easier to do with movies. If you put three movies out a year because your time commitment is you're going to the theater three times. But what has concerned me a little bit with Disney plus, especially with the star Wars and the Marvel stuff is here's all these new series that we're adding in that tie into continuity. And my concern with the arrow universe right now is like SP said, 
if they put them all on at the same time, it'd be seven hours of content. They're smart enough that they're not putting every season, lining up every show rather at the beginning of the season. So some of it's going to be mid-season replacements and stuff like that. But it's such a big time commitment. And I, I look at that and go, that's seven hours. And then I go, I got a podcast about it. I've got other podcasts I need to do. And I'm like, the time commitment to be able to watch all of those, it's daunting. And I will fully admit, so far behind on Flash, two seasons behind, two seasons behind on Supergirl. And I kind of enjoyed the freedom of it because I was getting overwhelmed with all of the content. And I've kind of enjoyed that break of it and being able to pick up some other stuff. And I probably should get caught up. I'll probably get caught up enough to know what's happening for Crisis, even if it's just reading plot summaries and stuff like that. But it's overload and it feels and you've got to be careful because it happened with Walking Dead. It turned into a chore for me to watch and I didn't want to watch it anymore. And that's why I stopped. And I don't want that to be what happens with all of the shows in the uh, CW DC universe, because if it becomes a chore to watch, I'm just going to be like, no, I'm checking out. I got other stuff I'd rather do. And I, I think they've been smart about it so far and it hasn't happened. But again, remember, I've also just kind of stopped watching two shows. You guys, I think you're more up to date than I am. So kudos to you guys for being able to power through. It's a lot of content and that's just what's daunting. As of today, I'm completely caught up. I was completely caught up close to the end of the season. And then we wanted to, I wanted to watch Legends of Tomorrow as we covered it. So I am completely caught up with everything right now. It's just a lot. And by the way, this is a lot of first world problems, right? Where you have seven TV shows in a comic book universe that you actually enjoy are being produced at the same time. You know, wow. Think of that when we were growing up. That never happened. So first world problems. I know it's it's tough. And especially when you want to have a life like I do gaming. I know I stream and I watch some gaming streams and I do some real life D&D. It, it is a lot. And for me, that spinoff isn't going to fill the arrow void. It's Batwoman. And my last piece of news just shows how awesome Ruby Rose is. Uh, she actually broke her neck. She stepped up in her involvement in doing her own stunts for Batwoman. And in a new interview, she elaborated on how she discovered she had a broken neck while filming the upcoming Arrowverse series. While promoting the this, this show on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Rose noted she had herniated a two-disc in her spine while filming the series pilot. Although she initially believed the pain and discomfort to be a broken rib, the cessation persisted for months while she was filming a movie in Romania where she similarly performed her own stunts. After receiving an MRI, Rose learned the true extent of her injury with only a tiny portion of her spine not severed. Running the risk of becoming paraplegic should she strain and move her back even in the slightest sensitive position, Rose underwent surgery to repair her spine, taking time off to recuperate before jumping back into filming the rest of the series. Wow. Wow. Glad they caught it and that nothing bad happened. So very lucky there. We've talked in the show and probably on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well about the um, stunt work that is done on the shows. For instance, over on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Chloe Bennett, in this fantastic scene, it's all one shot that she did. She actually ended up breaking a wrist. Was it both wrists? No, it was just one wrist during that whole thing. And every time she watches that sequence she knows the moment her wrist breaks in the whole thing and then she came back and 
filmed the rest of the season. I think it was only another episode or two, but she was there the whole time. So that's an example of somebody that's not a stunt person doing her own stunts that actually ends up getting injured. This is not limited to females in comic book shows. This is all over the place where you have somebody doing an action show, whether it's a film or a movie or something like that. And this is dangerous business and it's why they have stunt people to do it. And when this particular case being that close to being a paraplegic, I actually have a neck issue myself and I can go into it at another time. I know we're running long right now, but I know how serious this is. If they went in to operate on mine, I have an 80% chance of being a paraplegic. So I decided not to get the operation and I'm glad that she was able to get her operation done without going through that. So uh, hopefully she's an amazing, talented actor, and hopefully in the future she's able to do everything that she wanted to do with her career. I can't imagine the pain or the anxiety that went with her as she found out what was g- really going on with her neck. It gives you a greater appreciation for actors who do their own stunts, and then you realize hmm, you're not you're trained to do stunts, but not as well, arguably, as stuntmen and stunt women who pretty much that's their entire career. So. Kudos to those that do those stunts, but man, uh, very lucky for Ruby Rose that they caught it before she became paralyzed. I mean, some of the some of the way actors go out there and do stunts like Keanu Reeves and stuff like that, you look at it and you go, wow, these guys are sort of becoming stuntmen in their own rights, but what an appreciation you got to have for that art of being a stunt. One thing that always stands out in my mind is I've known Tom Cruise has done his own stunts for a long time, but there is that one famous shot of him actually being belted to the exterior of the airplane as it's taking off during one of the Mission Impossible things. I mean, that is an incredible stunt that he did himself that I don't know if I would do if I was in his position. I mean, wow. I know I've read interviews where movie executives just they just cringe. And they're like cussing their fingers every time he does stuff like that, but they can't stop him. Because he's the producer now. Can't stop a producer. (laughs) Nope. And that's all the news we have. Well, guys, looking at the time, SP had mentioned we were running a little long, so we are running long, so we are going to wrap things up. So a big thank you to the live listeners over in our chat room. We're watching over at geese.live. Also, thank you to everyone who downloads the audio podcast over at starringtribune.com or catches the video replay over at youtube.com slash gonna keep throughout the episode we were talking about different news stories that have popped about the upcoming crisis or upcoming cw shows and we talk about that live when the announcements come out on our discord server which you can find at gunnageek.com slash discord one of the three of us usually gets the news as it's being tweeted out or instagram or facebook or or the story drops on deadline or whatever usually or the verge one of us usually posts that over there so if you want to stay up to date with all of the events as it pertains to the cw arrowverse shows go to gunnageek.com slash discord and get the real-time information we'll also come back and talk about it on the show but if you want to get real time over there and then you can interact with us and then we can bring those opinions forward in the show as well. And remember, you can always catch us live as we record via www.geeks.live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern or 4.30 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays. There's a live chat room. For instance, we had American Liberty in the chat room today and we were going back and forth with him all night. So it was great to have that interaction as we're recording live. 
We would love to hear from you. We're the Starling Tribune on Facebook and Instagram, at Starling Tribune on Twitter, and you can call us at 612-888-CAVE. That's 612-888-2283. Well, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off? At Stargate Pioneer. Hashtag Dragon Dance. At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag Demonic Nipple. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag Jenga in Hell. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.